Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Well, good morning. We are in a series as a church in the book of Proverbs that we're calling Live Well. Live Well. Proverbs is known, of course, for being a book that's filled with wisdom from God. And we're calling this wisdom, we're defining as the skill of living well in God's creation. And so we're looking into it uh, to see all that God has for us. Today, we're looking at the one topic that Proverbs talks about more than anything else. Uh, And that is our words, our speech, what we say. Uh, More than what Proverbs talks about, some really big topics, think about money, you think about um, our family, sex, purpose, all these things that we would say are big, big things. But King Solomon spends the most time talking about words. In only 31 chapters, he's going to talk about it 90 different times. And the reason he talks about words is because words are both really, really powerful. I think we all know that and we'll see that a lot today, but also we use them all the time, right? They're really powerful and we use them all the time. If you remember from earlier this summer, um, Pastor Joey Schwartz, our community groups pastor, he was preaching through Colossians and we were talking about speech and words at that time. And he held up a book, looked a lot like this and said, we speak on average about 16 to 20,000 words a day, which is about how many words are in this book. Every single day, we write a book. Every day. And what Solomon is going to say, is we say a lot of words, and all of them are really powerful. We say a lot, they're really powerful. In fact, our one anchor verse for today, we're going to look at a lot of Proverbs, but our kind of anchor today is Proverbs 18.21. Really simple. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's it. Very simple. In fact, I want you to repeat it. Let me say it one more time. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. All right. Now we're all going to repeat it. You are going to repeat it and everybody with you. And then the people that are in the room here with me right now, we're all going to repeat it together. Ready? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. All right. That's pretty good. Let's make sure we understand how significant this is. So we're going to do it again, but we're going to replace that word, the, that little article. I think that's the proper word for that. I'm getting a thumbs up. We're going to replace that with the word my. All right. And so instead of in the power of the tongue, it's going to be power of my tongue. Ready? Go. Death and life are in the power of my tongue. All right. Pretty good. Now let me show you again how impactful this is by changing a couple of other things. Now I want you to look at a friend. I want you to look at a spouse, a sibling. You can do this if you're in elementary school or just a person sitting next to you. All right. If you need to FaceTime somebody and say this to them and they're like, what in the world are you doing talking to me? It doesn't matter. All right. We're going to get this across. And what I want you to say is that my death and my life are in the power of your tongue. All right, ready, set, go. And my life are in the power of your tongue. Your words, your words are the most powerful thing you have. And we know this, by the way, we know that words have the power of death 
in life, especially Christians know this even from a, a theological mindset. We're made in the image of a God who creates by words, right? Who speaks the words, let there be light, and there's light. Who says to the storm, be still, and it's still. Who says into the grave, Lazarus comes out, and he comes out, right? Who says, this angels say he's not here for he is risen. Who says if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. The gospel news, believing those words carry the power of salvation with them. Words are powerful. We're created in the image of God who speaks through words, who has power through his words, and our words likewise carry power with them. So one big question we're going to ask today is, what are you doing with your words? What are you doing with them? But I want to show you something else about your words that Proverbs says right here. I want to show you another, uh, we're going to call it another layer, go a little bit deeper as to why these words matter so much. I only showed you, if you're looking at your Bible laying open or the full thing, the first half of Proverbs 18:21. I want to show you it set in its full, Proverbs 18 verses 20 and 21 to show you another layer of this. All right. Listen to this. Proverbs 18, verse 20, from the fruit of a person's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is filled with the product of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Listen, the words that come out of your mouth, the words that come out of my mouth, they're like seeds that will go and they will produce fruit. And I think most of us know is that the words that go out of our mouths definitely impact others and others' words really impact us. We know the old saying, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And we know that it's garbage, right? We know that. It's complete garbage because words have incredible power and destructive, damaging words will hurt Right? I mean, I think about that death and life from the power of the tongue. Somebody comes to me, hey, you preached a great sermon. It lifts me up. Somebody comes to me and just says, you're dumb. Right? Usually this would be right inside my house, but you know, whatever. I'm like, man, that'll stay with me. That'll hurt far after the scratch or wound from a stick or a stone. Our words have power in others' lives. And that's going to be a part of our sermon today. We're going to talk about how we give life. That's why I had you repeat that thing. But what makes this particular proverb so enlightening is Solomon is saying, my words have the power of death and the power of life in me as well. My words don't just shape others. They actually shape me. They go out like a seed that produces fruit that one day I am going to eat. Your words, listen, they don't just go away from you. They come back and they shape you. King Solomon is saying something we still say to this day, but he's the OG. He's got credit for this, all right? You're going to eat your words. That's what he's saying. We usually talk about that in terms of like regret or proving somebody wrong. Like you said, I'd never make it. And now you're going to eat your words. But Solomon is saying, no, it's about all of our words. Our words are powerful. And because they're so powerful, they produce when they go out, they have effect and whatever you're saying, they're going to impact the world. Those words are going to impact the world around you, but then they're going to feed you and they're going to shape you. It's this powerful cycle because listen, your words are the fruit of actually what's down in your heart. We're going to talk about that today, but then they're also coming back to you and shaping who you are becoming. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. 
So yes, the question we're going to ask is, what are you doing with your words? But there's also a deeper question we're asking, is what kind of person do your words say you are becoming? I mean, think about it. If we had to turn the impact of your 16 to 20,000 words, if we, instead of thinking of it like a book, if we had to turn that into a meal, what's going to be on your plate? Would your meal be spoiled because you spoke words that, that spoiled, that were rotten towards the lives of others? Would your meal be full of nothing but empty calories because you, didn't, you said a lot of words yesterday, you didn't say anything that really mattered to anybody? Who do your words say you are becoming? There's, y'all, I hope you're seeing this. There's so much at stake in our words, and yet we are often so casual with them. So today we're going to look at how Proverbs says we can use our words to give life to others and even to ourselves. I believe seeing and applying what God says about your words, I, I really believe, I mean, hopefully you're seeing, it'll revolutionize your life. It will do wonders in our church. It will strengthen our church. And we understand, when we start to understand fully what God is saying about words, it will make the gospel, the gospel people and the gospel itself incredibly attractive to a lost and dying world around us. So here's our simple outline today. I'm going to kind of summarize, like I told you, there's like 90 different things that Proverbs say. I'm going to try and summarize that into about three categories. All right, if the power of life and death are in the tongue, I want to talk about how to give life with those words. I'm going to show you that life-giving words, Proverbs says, are true words. They are grace-filled words, and they are encouraging words. That's going to be our outline. We're going to look at what it says about how they're true words. Life-giving words are true, grace-filled, and encouraging. And then I'm going to show you where the power to give those words all comes from. All right, so let's start with life-giving words are true words, true words. Uh, Proverbs 14.25. I'm going to give you a few of them. Again, if you were to comb the Proverbs, you'd see the stuff pop out with many more than what I'll give you today. But Proverbs 14.25, a truthful witness rescues lives. Death and life from the power of the tongue. Rescues lives. But the one who utters lies is deceitful. Man, life-giving words begin with truth. That's because our God is a God of truth. There's no darkness in him. There's no lying in him. Satan, God's enemy, our enemy, is called the father of lies in Scripture. So something as simple as every day you might think as truth is profoundly important to God. The reason we trust God is because every word he speaks is true. And his truth gives life to us. And without truth, y'all, we can't do anything, right? In fact, the only reason we trust the Bible is because we believe it to be the word of God who is 100% true in all of his ways. And just as true words give life, his true words, so our words, when we speak truth, give life to others and life back to us. This is why Proverbs, um, in the first nine chapters, I've told you, the first nine chapters, really Solomon's like writing a letter to his son and repeatedly he says things like this, like Proverbs 3, 3, son, whatever you do, get truth. Get truth, bind it around your neck because people who speak truth become people who embody truth, which produces good lasting fruit in you. Lying on the other hand, not only does harm to others, but it has a way of unraveling you like nothing else does. When you lie, you become one person to others and a different person inside. It's like you almost almost split your soul, (laughs) 
split your personality, split everything. You do that long enough and frequently enough, it'll make you this selfish, duplicitous person who grows. Listen, you'll start to grow cold and callous, a little bit numb towards God himself and towards others. I have seen this same thing play out so many times as a pastor that I almost want to call it scientific fact. I'll call it spiritual fact, maybe. There's a guy comes and he tells me he is growing cold towards God and numb towards God, numb to spiritual things, and he's having trouble caring about the things he used to care about. It's not universal, so I shouldn't say it's fact, but so many times I say, okay, what deep, dark, dark sin are you hiding and not telling anybody else about? What are you lying about right now in your life? Because that lie, that's the meal that your soul is feeding on right now. And almost always, once that gets confessed, and it's almost always there, and once that gets confessed, then slowly but surely, spiritual renewal starts to begin. Our kids director has a great way of saying this when she's talking, uh, Mandy Foster, when she's talking to her kids about it, thought it was something really good that I'm going to start using in my home and I would, uh, just want to commend it to you. She says the way they talk about truth and lie and how it affects you is she said, if you tell a truth about something you did, it becomes a part of your past, right? Or maybe it's not even something you did, but you just, you tell a truth, it becomes a part of your past, but you tell a lie, it becomes a part of your future, like you, you keep living in it. You keep trying to weave your way out some way or another. Courtney and I are trying really hard to install truth as a bedrock in our family. We, dis- we discipline more severely for lying than just about anything else because we know through those choices to speak truth or lies, we are becoming either more like God or more like Satan himself. They're not just going out. They are coming back and shaping us either into the image of God or into the father of lies. I think about this in, uh, even in like friendship, right? Proverbs 27, five and six, you might remember this from last week, better an open reprimand than concealed love. The wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. The power of life is in truth, especially when that truth might wound someone you love. Like we said last week, true words from a friend may wound, but they keep you from wounding yourself far worse. Are you willing to speak truth to your friend, because speaking truth might be how you save them from great pain. Our kisses to them in a moment when they need truth, that's just like the kiss Judas gave Jesus. Endorsing sin by patting them on the back while they destroy their lives, that's betraying them. Now, I think about this even um, for me and my preaching and for others that, that preach. I love preaching. I love helping you see Um, who God is, all he has for you in Christ. But sometimes I got to preach things that I just know are going to sting. I know they're going to step on toes because maybe sometimes it's because they're so countercultural, right? I know they're going to come across as outdated or ignorant to our modern culture and, and its standards, but truth doesn't bend to how it is polling in current culture. Or, or maybe they are truths that are relevant, um, that, that appear relevant even to culture, but I know most of us are living out of step with it and it's just going to sting a lot. I don't enjoy that. But if I avoid hard truth in preaching, you will become a Christian that avoids hard truth in practice. And I will become a person. Those words will come back to me. I'll become a person that avoids hard truth. And God wants nothing to do with warm, syrupy churches that don't represent all of him. 
All of his truth is good for us. So I got to preach it all, even and especially the hard stuff, because we believe you can't have access to God's life-giving power until you see and submit to God's life-giving truth. This will never be more um, true than in evangelism itself. Look, we all know how awkward sharing the gospel can be with other people. I mean, truly sharing the gospel is telling someone that, that, hey, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we're all sinners. And the penalty for our sin is death, and that death is eternity separated from God in hell. That's where we're all headed apart from Jesus. That's offensive. That's really offensive. We say there is salvation from your sin fully and only exclusively in no other name under heaven, only in Christ. Y'all, while that is offensive, if it is true, then one of the cruelest things we can do is refuse to tell people closest to us about Jesus. You get a friend or neighbor who doesn't know Jesus and you refuse to tell them because it'll be awkward, because it might offend them. I was trying to figure out like a, a good way to, to illustrate this. And I was thinking about, I, I, we've got a couple of weddings that I know I'm getting ready to, to be doing soon. And yeah, one of those like really cool parts is the, you're in the reception and the best man is given the toast, you know, and I can think if you're giving a toast and I notice that you have a, you're about to sip your drink and you got a black widow spider crawling on the rim of your glass and I'm the one that sees it. I don't care that I'm interrupting you and it's about to get a little awkward, right? But I'm going to run at full speed and slap that glass right out of your hand. Who cares if I make a scene? Because your life is worth it to me. Same's true in evangelism. If your neighbor's eternity is at stake, isn't interrupting their lives with the gospel the one thing that can save them? Isn't it worth it? That's why we emphasize this, um, uh, the way we talk about it is who's your one? Who's that one person that's far from God but close to you? It's because if you love them, you'll tell them what is true. True words are life-giving What kind of person do your words say you're becoming? Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life. So walk in truth in your speech. You'll find life there. Here's another thing Proverbs says. Not only are life-giving words true, this is very important to couple with truth. Life-giving words are gracious. They're grace-filled. This is Proverbs 15.4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Proverbs 16, 24, gracious words are like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. To say our words bring health, bring healing, is to say they have the effect of, of restoration. Your words, think, again, don't let this wash over you. Your words have the power to restore someone. And this is big coming alongside speaking truth to say grace is equally as important because you can sometimes speak truth, but the effect of your word isn't healing. Sometimes you can speak truth and it actually breaks someone. A couple of ways we do this. Remember, I'm going to come back to how we, it also comes back to us, but a couple of ways that we often get this wrong and we speak truth without grace. Listen, sometimes we speak a heavy truth without the relationship needed to support it. And that can really hurt. This is Proverbs 12, 18. There's one whose rash words, they might be true, but rash. They're like sword thrusts. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. When we don't have the relationship with someone, we might say something true, but because they don't know us, they don't trust us. And that truth ends up being a sword cut. 
It harms. Yo, listen, this is big for me. I've had this done to me and I have done this to others. I'm a fixer. I'm a go-getter. And so I end up assuming people's strengths. Tell me if you've ever done this. I just assume their strengths. And then I go and I point out their weaknesses because that way they, they can fix it and help them get better, right? I think a lot of us do that. And if this is true about our words, that our words have the power to restore, to heal, to give life, to nourish the soul, we should reverse that. We should assume everybody has weaknesses, and instead we should call out strengths. Right? I see God's grace in you. I see God's character in you. Some of you dads need to listen up to me right now. Your sons are going to grow up, especially your sons, they're going to grow up resenting you if the only time you speak to them is to correct them on what they did wrong in the last game you watched them play. You might mean well thinking, and it doesn't just apply to sports, but to, to anything, you might think, how will they improve if I, don't know what, if I don't tell them what they did wrong? I need to tell them what they did wrong. It's coming from, I think, probably a pretty good place, but, and that's true. But listen, maybe a deeper and more important question is how will they improve if their dad doesn't believe in them? I, I read a, a really uh, indicting study on me um, and on, on dads uh, done recently about the rise in popularity of the sport of lacrosse in high school boys. And, and they said it's rising in popularity like soccer did a generation ago. And after surveying these boys, they found a major reason they started taking up lacrosse is because it's the only sport their dads didn't know how to play. So they couldn't criticize them about it because they didn't know how to make them better. Look, I'm telling you, I'm preaching to myself here, okay? I'm not just talking to dads, though. I'm talking to moms. I'm talking to friends. I'm talking to spouses. Healing words are best received and given inside of a strong, affirming relationship. Truth is best received inside a whole lot of grace. So work on building grace-filled relationships. Our words should always be seeking to heal and to restore. When we speak a heavy truth without a relationship, we lose that grace and ends up doing damage. Another way that we, we try and do this, we try to speak truth, but it doesn't come across in a way that is healing and restorative is when we gossip. This Proverbs 20, 19. I love how candid Solomon is sometimes. The one who reveals secrets is a constant gossip. So plain and simply, avoid someone with a big mouth. You love that. Gossip is simply to speak negatively about someone else to somebody else. And almost without exception, the aim here is not restorative. It's to vent or to just pass something along and it's wrong. It's wrong even if you wrap it up in a prayer request. It's still wrong, all right? I mean, rarely there might be a time you need to talk negatively, so to speak, about someone else to someone else, but it should grieve you to do so. And it should be only be done in love. And again, it should be very rare. And that's got to be with the hope of ultimately leading to that person's healing. But most of the time, you need to keep it to yourself. And you need to avoid people with big mouths. Because someone starts to gossip to you, maybe you just need to ask, hey, have you talked? This is what I, a lot of my pastoring, I feel like sometimes is conflict resolution. It's just going, have you talked to this person yet? No? You want me to call them? You got their number? Let's call them right now. Get that on speed. That usually changes the dynamic right there. Maybe you need to be the one to say, you want me to sit down to arrange for the three of us to talk? Don't participate in it. Don't entertain it. We will become our words. 
So speak gracious words. Those gracious words will come back to you and you will begin to become a more gracious person. You'll become a more trustworthy person. When you look, when you gossip, you indicate that you're not a safe person, right? You will lose trust with others. Safe people are quick to listen and slow to speak. We become our words. Here's the last thing that I'll show you, that last category uh, that Proverbs that I'm showing you today is that life-giving words are encouraging. <sighs> Proverbs 10, 11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. I love that word righteous because it's grace and truth together. When we speak, when we speak with another person, our words, we should be looking to perceive what God is doing in a situation and speak words of life that call people to believe in him for what he is doing in their life. Our words should be encouraging literally to get courage in there, right? Encouraging, that's the word, get courage in there. Encourage people to believe what God wants for them, not to tear them down, but to encourage. While Satan is the father of lies, one of his ways of tearing you down is actually to speak truth to you in a way that tears you down. Satan sees, like, think about this for a second. Satan and the Holy Spirit see the same thing. Satan sees death and sin in us and says, that death and sin, that's your reality. That's who you are. You're a perpetual sinner, and he starts to push you downward into death and guilt and despair. God sees the same sin and death and instead calls you upward into new life in Christ. He sees darkness and he speaks light. He sees chaos, he declares order. One of my great hopes for my prayer, for my preaching and for just the tone of Mercy Church, when you come to Mercy Church, when you encounter us, I want you to hear the voice that spoke into the grave of Lazarus saying, for the sake of the glory of God, by the power of Christ, rise up to new life. I hope you hear the voice of the one who said to the woman caught in adultery, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. The voice that says, I've created you, Ephesians 2.10, for good works for you to walk in. I see you not only as you are, but what I'm making you into. You are chosen. You have a purpose. Romans 8, you are more than a conqueror through him who loves you. You are not damaged goods. You are a new creation washed in his blood and filled with his power. Y'all, the gift of encouragement, it's so underrated. It's so powerful because words are so powerful. I love being around people with the gift of encouragement. They breathe life into me. They're speaking life into me. And I'm telling you, one of the primary roles we have as the body of Christ is to look for the slightest trace of God working in someone's life and say, I see it. I see God working in you. And we start fanning that flame. I was at a uh, um, cookout the other day and we had a little fire pit going over on the side. And um, John, the guy whose house we were at, I mean, it was just this little fire is about to go out, right? This little ember. And he says, all right, everybody back up. And he grabs a garbage can lid because we were out in the country a little bit. And this is how you do that out there. And he just grabs this big garbage can lid. And he just starts, gets right down by the fire and just starts back and forth really fast. And in a matter of about 15 seconds, that fire was like really up and full and roaring. I was like, this is awesome. You know, I was all that sort of stuff. I'm like, this should actually be us. 
We see just a little bit of what God's doing. We just catch a glimpse of it. Then we go over there and we just start fanning it. All right, so our soul work for this week. I've told you like um, different weeks, we've had different things that we're doing where we go, we take what we're seeing from God's word and try to apply it in our life. Your soul work for this week is to fan someone's flame, which sounds kind of weird, I know. So, but you know what I mean? Like, is it okay that you understand what I'm saying here? Um, Every day for the next seven days, this is a daily assignment. So seven times, okay? Every day for the next seven days. I'm, I'm thinking just like, Everything you eat, the littlest thing you see God doing, or maybe it's the character of God you see in their life, or maybe it's like, you see, this might be how God has gifted this person. They are an encourager, man. They are an administrator. They are hospitable. They are a teacher. You pick, I mean, whatever you see God doing, you say it. You see God doing something in them, you say it for for seven days. Now, two things about that. I'm not talking about flattery. All right, there's a difference there. If gossip is saying some, something behind someone's back, you'd never say to them in person. Flattery is like the reverse. It's like saying something to them that you would never say behind their back because you don't really mean it, right? We're not talking about that, all right? Say that which is true. Be sincere, but also like don't be creepy, okay? So guys, this isn't a license to be like, hey, the pastor told me to, you know, go and speak up when I see God at work and girl, he did a good work in you, or I don't know, like something that would be weird. Don't be creepy. That's like, that's a no-no. All right. But really just try to, to fan the flame of faith in other people. You try this. And here's what I, I believe. Not only do I think it will be great for the body of Christ to be encouraging one another, but see what it does to you. See what it does to you. When you are spending your time, your mental energy, your attention, focusing on what God is doing in others. I'm telling you, you will become your words. You will become more truthful. You will become more gracious. You will become more encouraging. As you speak life into others, you will become more like God, your father, more into the image of Christ that he is calling you to be. Let me close here. There's no question. Look, you know this. It's out of the heart that the mouth speaks. You can't just change your heart by changing your words. Changing your words, I'm telling you this today, it's an exercise that will alert your heart to its need for change, and it might lead you, but the source of change and renewal is God himself. Proverbs 4.22, these words are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. The words of Scripture tell a story that goes into our hearts and changes us. Think about Jesus when he got baptized. John's baptizing him, and then God the Father speaks as the Spirit descends, and God says, this is my son. He speaks. God speaks, and John wrote it down to make sure we knew God speaking, and we knew what he was saying in this moment. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Not only did Jesus, hear that word from the Father. This is how he spoke to us. His words are full of acceptance and hope and grace. In this kind of lies a dilemma, I think, right? You know, the more you get to know Jesus, the more you realize that in you, there's so much that's, that's unlovely and unacceptable. I mean, you, you see this thing today, and I'm telling you, you're going to fall short. You're not going to always be truthful. You're not going to always be gracious. You're not going to always be encouraging, and you're going to have that 
moment, more than likely, we were like, how could God possibly accept us and approve us when he sees all that? When he knows all this unloveliness about us? And the answer is on the cross. When Jesus cries out to God and heaven is silent. Jesus gets, a, a, so to speak, a silent response from the Father. He goes, my God, my God. And nothing. But because he did that in our place, I get to stand with him in those words of affirmation. And God says to me, you're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. In that affirmation, I have the approval of the only one that really matters. The words that you've longed to hear from your heavenly father, I approve of you and I accept you. They're yours in Christ. That stops the war in our hearts because we found the assurance of love we've longed for. Look, like Solomon says, you need to believe the word. The most important thing you can get out of a church is not a place that just gives you some rules to follow or gives you some goosebumps during worship, but it's to be in a place where you hear the message of the gospel and God's great love for you over and over and over, where you hear that though you are unclean, you're forgiven. Though you are dead, you can be made alive. Though your sin is scarlet, you will be made white as snow. Psalm 103, 12, you need to hear that as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is ours in Christ. It's yours in Christ. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for speaking over us the words of the gospel, that we are accepted by you in Christ. We are forgiven by you in Christ. We are washed and cleansed in Christ. We are made a new creation in Christ. And we have eternity in your presence awaiting us together with Christ. Thank you for the words of truth the words of grace, the words that give us courage to walk in this life. God, we see that we become our words. So would you, would you fill our hearts with your love? Would that be a, a fresh, just a renewal in our hearts? Spirit, work in us. Would it not just be abstract knowledge? Would it be deep, relational, experiential truth that we see, that we that we remember as we meditate and consider this gospel. If you don't know Christ and you're tuning in with us, you can have it. He said you don't, there's not a list of things you got to do to get right with him. He said he's done everything on the cross. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. I believe he's Lord. I believe he's the one. He can pay for my sin because he is God. He is perfect. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, giving you victory over sin and death, giving you new life and life eternal. You'll be saved. God, I believe I'm turning from my sin. I'm giving you my whole life. I believe that you die for me. I receive that salvation now. And you will be saved. And you pray that right now. God, thank you for your grace. 
We love you. We worship you for new life. May our words give away life, that life that we find fully and completely in you. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.